Omađena čuranandasya, čina džina salakaya, čakšon militanjine tasva šri guruvina maha, pančakopitu bišča kripa sindubivača, patita nam pamane bjovačna vidžinamo namaha. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya, om namo bhagavate vasudevaya, om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. Nasta preeshu abhyeshu nicham bhagavata sevaya bhagavachutama sloke bhaktir bhavati naistiki. Good evening everyone. We will start tonight by chanting this verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, third canto, 25th chapter. Lord Kapila is giving instruction to his mother Devahuti. And the significance of this verse is it provides us a remedy from the Srimad Bhagavatam as uh, highlighted in by Jiva Goswami as to the Jiva who's bewildered by material nature, the measures by which he can very easily be relieved from the influence of that material nature and realize his full spiritual self, his spiritual existence. Satam prasangam mamavirya samvido Satam prasangam mamavirya samvido Bhavanti hritkarna rasayana katha Bhavanti hritkarna rasayana katha Tas joshanat ashva pavarga vartmani Tas joshanat ashva pavarga vartmani Shradharitir bhaktir anukramishyati Shradharitir bhaktir anukramishyati from association with the best devotees, topics of my glorious pastimes become directly realized, bringing the devotee to Nista. Then the topics become an elixir for the heart and ears at the stage of Ruchi. By taste for these topics, a sakti, bhava, and then praying for the Lord, who is the destroyer of material life, quickly develop in sequence. Another very interesting point to be drawn from this sloka by Lord Kapila is the distinction of the hearing at the stage of Ruchi. So at the stage of Ruchi, then the topics become an elixir. So when hearing from a realized soul, Prasanga, the best Sangha, the very best devotees we can find, those that are situated very soundly in devotional practice and are themselves realized by hearing from them we can quickly come to Ruchi when one is at the stage of Ruchi then when you hear those topics from a level at that a devotee at that level of realization it becomes very nectarine an elixir imagine having whatever material ailment you could have can conceive of and immediately having a remedy that you just take it and it's resolved. So that's what we're speaking of, an elixir that will remove all material distress. 
as devotees were not really interested in re removal of material distress but will certainly take it as a byproduct of devotional practice there's no need to suffer unnecessarily we don't purposely go out and stand in front of a bus to, so that we can be convinced that material nature is really not a place, a safe place or a convenient place Prabhupada used to use the term it's uh, it's not a place for any gentleman <laughs> and simply hearing a verse like this we should become very enthusiastic to to get past the anarthas to get past the misconceptions and come to the platform of Nista and from Nista come to Ruchi where everything in the practice becomes relishable imagine everything so much so that there's no desire to eat or sleep. It's like, I just want to chant more, I want to read more, I want to do more service. I'm Every every aspect of devotional practice at this stage of Ruchi becomes completely relishable. Relishable beyond... Once in a while we have a little relish with our devotional service, but imagine if it was all relish at every moment. That's what we're speaking of and that's that is something we need to be enthusiastic for. Not in the same vein as it has to be done with the proper mentality. It's not like the impersonalists. They want to they want to remove material obstacles. They want to remove themselves from any involvement in material nature. They want to put to an end samsara they want to stop it dead in its tracks they want liberation the devotee doesn't want to come to this stage of ruchi where he's tasting everything in his practice as sweet simply to taste sweetness he wants to come to that platform because then he, he can start to perform his service on the spiritual platform, all of it, unencumbered by material nature. So his aspiration is different in that regard. If he's desiring to advance quickly through these stages, it's so that he can do the best service without any material impediment. He wants to be able to be completely and totally absorbed in service to the extent that nothing sways him, nothing he can't be deterred by anything. And this is our natural state. Our natural state is complete spiritual satisfaction. That's natural. What we're at now, this is unnatural. This state of, of complete uh, material anxieties coming and going, happiness and distress based on this or that circumstance. It's, it's nothing but a, an encumbrance. It's, it just gets in the way. One day I feel like uh, you know doing my service and the next day, well, I'd just rather sleep. It's, it's just it's an impediment. When I come to the platform of Nista, of steadiness, of Ruchi, of getting a taste, a sakti of starting to, to truly apprehend my spiritual prospect with 
find discrimination as to that objective, that's something to, to very much aspire to and to be enthusiastic to attain. So this is the remedy, the remedy for the jiva who's, who's immersed in material existence is this, and this verse is, has to be so significant because jiva Goswami, he's pulled this verse forward and he said, this is representative of the proper application that he realized these four verses that he realized what did he realized he saw the supreme he saw all the lord's intrinsic spiritual potencies with him he saw the jivas he saw the external potency he saw the the position of the jivas who were enamored by that external potency and he saw a re remedy to their situation and this verse highlights that remedy so we're interested we're at an interesting point in the Tatvasandarbha a point where Srila Jiva Goswami has analyzed the Samadhi of Srila Vyasadeva and in that analysis come to the position of of pointing out the difference between the supreme personality of Godhead and the jiva both of them are conscious but there's a difference between them and in pointing out that difference one difference is what? that the Supreme Tadapashrayam that Supreme is dominating the external potency that's one distinction Tadapashrayam in one of the four verses and then the Jiva is bewildered by that same potency so there's a world of difference between Ishvara and Jiva when it comes to the material nature and also there's a little bit of a size differentiation <laughs> the Supreme is everywhere and the Jivatma is infinitesimal one ten thousandth the tip of a hair but that doesn't mean the Jiva is, is finer than the Supreme because the Supreme is so fine that the Supreme, while being being everywhere, is also localized at the same time, simultaneously. And he's so fine, he can sit within the heart of the Jivatma. Despite the fact that we're infinitesimal, Krishna is even more infinitesimal than we are. But he's also all-encompassing. So these are the distinctions in pointing out the distinction between the Ishvara, Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, and the Jivatma. He's come to the point where, well, this is a good this is a good place for me to kind of put something to rest. There was a class of spiritualists 
who think that there is no distinction between the supreme and they have some arguments in this regard and they use the same scriptures we do to support their arguments they support their radical non-dualism and in accepting that theistic stand as valid they stand in opposition to the revelation of Vyasadeva let me deal with them so we're at that point in the Tattvasandarva where Jiva is dealing with them he did mention he wasn't going to involve himself with a presentation of Brahmati because it's automatically intrinsic in the Supreme but he is going to deal here with the misrepresentation of that aspect of the Supreme so Brahmati Paramatmati Bhagavan Iti Subjate that non-dual substance that's the verse non-dual substance is recognized by some as Brahman some as Paramatma and some as Bhagavan that's all well and good we see that both Paramatma and Brahman are included in our understanding of what is Bhagavan but this is a misrepresentation where the distinction that Vyasadeva recognized in Samadhi this is a philosophy that stands in opposition to that so he takes eight anuchedas, eight sections of this Tattvasandharva and he deals with that so what I'm going to do in this class is I'm going to read all eight anuchedas. this is the first of those eight Anuchetas. According to the Advaitavad doctrine of Sankracharya, and I'm only going to read what Jiva's, it's actually his Tattvasandharva, that's all I'm going to present to you. According to the Advaitavad doctrine of Sankracharya, in the very moment that the one indivisible Burman, whose nature is pure consciousness, becomes the support of Maya, and the embodiment of knowledge, an Ishvara, it simultaneously falls under Maya's influence and is overcome by ignorance as the Jiva. Yet this is illogical. Thus, we can understand that the Jiva and the Supreme Lord are distinct entities. Moreover, since their inherent capacities are different, Ishvarya is the controller of Maya and the Jiva as subordinated by Maya. The Jiva and the Lord are distinct in their essential natures. So he begins by presenting the Advaitavad philosophy of Sankaracharya, which says in the very moment that Brahman, which is pure consciousness, undifferentiated consciousness, becomes the support of Maya and the embodiment of knowledge as Asvara, it simultaneously falls under Maya's influence and is overcome by ignorance. Yet this is illogical. So the Advaita Vods say there is a point in time 
where that supreme Brahman, which is conscious, comes into contact with Maya. At that moment that it becomes it comes into contact, some of it that contacts the knowledge portion becomes Ishvara and some of it becomes Jivatma. Simultaneously. Both of them fall under the influence of Maya. Both. But there's no them. Of course there's no them. We understand that. But you know the second it that the Brahman touches Maya which is itself so this is pretty easy to understand this is their philosophy and Jiva says this just doesn't make any sense and because there's a distinction between the two so why did one become why, why did one become Ishvara and the same one become Jivatma it does, it's not logical it just does not make sense we go on to Anacheta 36, the second of the eight. Also, the radical non-dualist position of Sri Sankar cannot explain away this difference between the jiva and the supreme being as no more than a division or a reflection of Brahman into a hierarchy of Upadis. So jiva's going on and he's saying, they can't explain the difference why there's a difference they come in contact with Maya why is there a difference why is there a Deshvara and why is there a Jiva there's no they just it's well they say one comes in contact with ignorance one comes in contact with knowledge Jiva's saying yes but Jiva's saying they can't explain away their dif- this difference with their Philosophy. Now he's going to go forward and he's going to explain this is how they try to do it though. It's a hierarchy of apodis. Well, let's take a look at that. He says they can't really explain it, but they do explain it. He's saying they can't explain it. Why one becomes Jiva and one becomes God. But they try to explain it. They try to do it with the concepts of division and reflection using the concept of upadis. What is that concept? Now Jiva's going to unfluff that a little for us and say, okay, let's see what what they mean when they say upadis and Brahman is influenced. If we assume that these upadis are real, Vastava, they are empiric realities. They're not just a flower in the sky or the horns on a rabbit or the sun of a barren woman. They're real. If we assume that they're real because they're empir- of their empiric validity, well, what would their empiric validity be? The fact that they influence Brahman to be God or the Jiva. If there wasn't some substantial to them, how could they influence Brahman? So they must have some substance. They're not just some will-o'-the-wisp. Still, because Brahman is not subject to any influence, it cannot be delimited by them. 
So Jiva's just laying it out here. It cannot be delimited by them. Because Brahman is not subject to any influence, it's one of its characteristics according to Shastra. Now remember, these Advaitas, Advaitins, under the lead of Sankaracharya, they do accept the Vedas. They accept the primary Upanishads. They accept the Bhagavad Gita. They use these scriptures and they quote from them giving their own interpretation, of course, which doesn't generally represent all of the tattva of Vedanta. So it's an interpretation. They pick and choose. Well, we're kind of familiar with that in modern-day Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So it's been going on for some time. This is not a new thing. Jiva's just like, it can't be limited. If it's Brahman and you're using your, your, your definition of Brahman, it can't be delimited. Moreover, Brahman can cast no reflection. It is, is devoid of attributes, all-pervading and indivisible, without parts. He's first dealing with the delimiting thing, can't be put into pots. And now he goes on in the next sentence, and it can cast no reflection because it is devoid of attributes. It has no color, taste, form, smell, huh? There's nothing to reflect. There's nothing there. It has no material attributes. All pervading and indivisible, without parts. Since Brahman has no attributes, it can have no relation with Upadis. Since it is all pervading, it cannot be divided into an object and its reflection. And since it is indivisible and uniform, it cannot be seen. Brahman resembles the sky in this respect. Because the sky is invisible, reflections are cast not by the sky itself, but by the heavenly bodies, which are luminous portions of the demarcated sky. Remember, their philosophy, they use this analogy. Brahman is like the sky reflected in water. Let's go on to the next Anucheta. If, however, there were real Upadis, the limited Brahman, Paricheta, or acting as the medium for its reflection, Pratibimba, if there, if there were some, I've already said there's not possible for them to be, but okay, all right, let's go on. If there were, a person could not re get rid of them simply by intuitive knowledge of his essential oneness with the Supreme. What's his mechanism, is what Jiva said. What mechanism could you utilize to get free of the influence of the Upadis of Maya, whether they be knowledge or ignorance, whether you be God or the Jiva, how would you get free of them? Simply with your, in, your intuition. Why? Because your intuition is falling within the Upadis. So there's no possibility, is what Jiva's saying. All right, let's say they're real. Well, if they are real, then they have power over you. You have no power to get free of them just by thinking you're free of them. 
It doesn't work that way. You can't. If you think, if I think I'm the president, if I'm in a drunken stupor, I'm simply a simple clerk, and I think I'm the president, that doesn't make me the president. If I'm in prison and I have shackles on, if I think I'm free and running through a field, you just, you basically, you would put a jacket around me at that point and not let me flail myself to death against the walls as I'm running through the field into the walls of the prison house. That's all Jesus is saying here. And if the radical non-dualists propose that freedom from apodis is due to the influence of the supreme entity, okay, all right, this is it. This is his, I think this is a crowning victory here. All right, so you accept that the jiva can't get free of the upadis by themselves, and your conception of Brahman is what? Is that it's tasteless, odorless, it has no characteristics, it has no attributes, it has no potencies. That's, that's your definition, right? So that's what you say is Brahman. But if you say that, that because of the influence of a supreme entity, some portion of Brahman who's become Ishvara, referring to the pronoun tat because of their verse what? Tat twam asi, I am that. So if you accept that, that, that can make you, can liberate you from the apodis, then you're in agreement with us, and you're a Vaishnav. We have no problem with you then. Okay. Well, we use that. We say Tatvamasi is you are his. But the Mayavadi says Tatvamasi. You are that. You are that. You are. You are Brahman. That's their conception. Okay, where do they agree? Because if you if you first of all accept the premise that intuition alone cannot free you from apodis, okay. you're under the influence of Maya of the of ignorance. All right, so you can't get free of apodis. Okay, and it doesn't matter how hard you try. But there is a way you can get free, and that's with divine intervention. Well, if you accept that, then you're a Vaishnav, and we have no arguments. Make it? Then he goes on. Further refutations of Pratibhimba Vad and Paricheda Vad. He's nailing it down now. Conversely, if the Upadis are only apparently real, they're not really real. You just think they're real. Okay. <laughs> then Brahman's delimitation, Parichetavad, and reflection, Pratibhimbavad, are also only apparently real. If they don't really exist, then you thinking that you're in Maya also doesn't really exist. Whichever one you accept, either the you're in a pot and you're going to emerge with the air, or you're a reflection in, a dirt, in the dirty water or the clean water. All right? 
But if it's not really, if you're not taking an empiric viewpoint, is what Jeeva's saying, right? If they're only apparently real, since these processes do not in fact occur, since the Advaita Vadis doctrine is based on the analogy of an unreal dream state, such analogies as that of the pot and open space, akasa, which involve real upadis, cannot serve to establish it. No proper analogy can be drawn between real and unreal things. Therefore, the Advaita Vadis, theories of division and reflection are nothing but the play of illusion, unprovable due to their inherently faulty application of analogies. Sounds like a lot of word juggling, but let's look at what Jiva's really saying here. All right, we can understand the fact that the white bull is in the strawberry field. Oh well, at least he's still in our <laughs> control. It's not going to take much to get out of the strawberry field. It's not going to take much to get out of the strawberry field. Oh, why the electric doesn't go all around? Thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna. She said they're all agitated because of fireworks going on at the uh, campground. I don't blame them. Thank you so much.